Good evening, church. How's everybody doing this evening? We're going to need more than that this evening. This is Power Gifts Night. How are you doing this evening? There we go. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here. And tonight is episode six of our series, Activated. We started this series six weeks ago, and we we're focusing on looking at three primary things. The Holy Spirit, spiritual practices, and spiritual gifts. Now, tonight is the closing of the trilogy within this series. I told you from the very beginning, two weeks ago, when we looked at the very first section of spiritual gifts, love gifts, that this is going to be a trilogy of sermons, and they are meant to go together. It's like watching Matrix 3 and saying the Matrix isn't good. You need to watch the entire trilogy to get the full story. And so if tonight is your first sermon of the spiritual gifts, you missed last week where we looked at the word gifts or two weeks ago where we looked at the love gifts, I want to encourage you uh, this week, tonight, go on our YouTube page, go on our app, and listen back on podcast services or on YouTube the previous two sermons because they go together as a complete package looking at all of the spiritual gifts. Okay, so tonight we're going to be looking into the power gifts. And there's a lot here. There's actually more gifts in this section than any other section. And so I want to encourage you, if you do have our app, click on the notes icon. And there's a lot of notes there that will help you as you take your own notes and as we move through this uh, together this evening. Now, as you heard me say, this is the power gifts. And these are some of the more controversial gifts. These are some of the gifts where people have different kind of feelings and emotions regarding them based upon experience, based upon theological uh, positions. And so when I said power gifts, some of you in the room were like, finally, we're finally here. And some of you are in like this, I can't believe we're doing this. Oh no, it's power gift night. Don't worry. We're going to work through it together. We're going to work through scripture, and you're going to see the beauty of these gifts. And here's, I brought a science experiment tonight uh, just because I want to explain why these gifts are so important. We said from the very beginning of this series that we believe that all of the gifts that we see in scripture that we're going through in this series are in full use in the church. They're important to be represented and to be used not only for the benefit of the individual who has the spiritual gift, but for the building up of the whole body. The Apostle Paul says we are one body, many members, and gifts have been given by the Spirit to each of us so that we might build up one another. That it's for the common good of the church and trickles out into the city. It in fact brings revival to God's people and to the city. And the power gifts are unique in that they do something different for us, the church, than the word gifts or the love gifts. The love gifts help us to experience and see the practical love of Jesus manifested in the church. The word gifts help us to understand and to clarify the nature and the actions and the purposes of God. And the power gifts, their role is to make known to us the power and the presence and the reality of God in the moment. They make known to us in the moment, here and now, that God is real, that he is active, that he is present, and that he is powerful. Now, I told you I have a science experiment. This right here is a mason jar, and the water that's in here with food coloring represents you and me. This represents us. Now, 
This is our life, and for many of us that are in this room, we have come to faith in Jesus. Maybe it was decades ago. Maybe it was a few years ago. Maybe it is very recent that you have come to place your faith in Jesus as your Messiah, your Savior, your Lord, and your life was changed. And it's continually changed as God gives new desires and he changes the trajectory, the thoughts, the habits. All of these things begin to happen in your life when you come to faith in Jesus. So this right here, this oil represents God. Here's what happens. When God impacts our life and pours himself out upon our life, it mixes up all within us. It mixes everything. It changes everything. But over time, notice what's happening. And and if I'm going to speak honestly, I think I speak for all of us here, is that even though everything begins to change and it mixes around and it moves around, over time, there begins to be a separation. Right? Over time, there is a disconnect that we feel between the very God that we believe in, that we know is real, that we have faith in, but we feel disconnected. We feel like, I know I believe in you, God, but I'm, I don't really feel your presence. I feel spiritually removed from you. And so many of us try a lot of different things. We're coming to church, we're reading our Bible, we're praying, we're in small group, we're engaging, and we, so we try to keep mixing it up so that we can reconnect afresh with God but then a separation begins to happen over time. This is part of the Christian life, connection, disconnection. Now, the reason that power gifts have been given to us is because what they do when you pour power gifts into the community of the church and you just infuse a little bit of these gifts into the church, here's what happens. Because they make known the power and the reality and the presence of God in the moment, They reconnect everybody in the church. They reconnect us all in our relationship with God. It's not just for those that have the gift, but it's that those that have the gift might use the gift so that all of us might experience God in the moment, his power in the moment, his reality, that he's alive and active within us. And that is why these gifts matter so much. Okay? We're tracking. Science experiment. Success. So, I I tell you all of that because I think it is important that we enter into these gifts this evening with that understanding of why they are so vital, why they are so important, because they're a benefit not only to those that have the gift, but for the entire body. You see, we believe that there's two things, many more things, but let me focus on two things about our faith. One, we have an integrated faith. We are physical beings in a physical reality, but there's a spiritual reality that is around us too. And the very God who, who inhabits all realities is here in our physical reality, spiritually present, and he is here. The power gifts make that known to us because our God is both transcendent, he's eternal, he's infinite, he's other, but he is also personal and near and close He's imminent and he's transcendent. The power gifts help us to see the imminence of God, the closeness of God, the nearness of God. I want to highlight a, a few feelings that people may have, and maybe I represent you when I share this. Because these gifts, along with all the spiritual gifts, are God's grace to us. But we all in this room come from different experiences, different traditions, and we have different Uh, positions of comfort regarding these gifts in particular. 
For instance, some of you in this room may feel that there's a theological objection to some of these gifts being alive and active in the church. We're going to work through that a little bit this evening. And I want to recognize that and I want to validate that. The second thing is some of you in this room may just have had very little to no experience with these gifts being used ever. You've never really been in a church or in an environment where these, these gifts were used. And so you've seen it maybe or heard about some of these gifts, but there's a discomfort because it's just not familiar. And then lastly, some of you have experienced these gifts used in a church, but they were misused. They were not grounded in biblical order. They're, they were used, in fact, maybe as a weapon. These gifts, some of them in particular, have been used as a weapon against people that have caused wounds. They've generated spiritual abuse. Some of you may have been in environments where you were told that if you don't have certain gifts that I'm going to go through this evening, that your faith isn't strong enough, that you're not mature enough as a Christian, that real Christians have these certain gifts. And I want to tell you again, I've been saying this all the time, there are no economy gifts and first-class gifts. There is no superiority of gifts, including these gifts. If you have some power gifts, you are not more spiritual than somebody who has none. That is important for you to hear because if you've been wounded or if you've faced people pushing certain things upon you and saying, you got to have these gifts if you're mature, if you have faith, if you're really close to Jesus, then you're going to have these gifts. I'm going to tell you, no, that's not biblical at all. That's not true. The Spirit decides which gifts to give. And they're given for your benefit and the benefit of the body as a whole. And so please, for all of us, whether we had a theological objection we have wounds because they've been misused, or we just have an unfamiliarity. We're, we're not familiar with them. Would we all engage these gifts with openness? Would we see the power and the presence and the importance of these gifts because they are vital? Here's why God gives these gifts to us. Not only so that we can survive, but so that we can thrive. These bring about a thriving culture in the church. And so what we're going to do for the, oh, that would have been bad. What we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is going to form the basis of our conversation on these gifts this evening. So the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 spends three chapters of his letter to the church in Corinth on the topic of spiritual gifts. We've already been looking into chapter 12 where we have seen that the Apostle Paul has said we're one body, many members, and he, in fact, begins to list several gifts in chapter 12. The ones that we're going to talk about this evening are listed in chapter 12. Chapter 13, he continues to speak about spiritual gifts, and he does so in chapter 14 as well. Chapter 13 that we're going to look into is famous because it's the wedding chapter. Some of you that have been to weddings or you, maybe you had this passage in, at your wedding, it speaks about love, all the things that love is. This is the wedding chapter. That's great. It's important to share what love is, and Paul defines it so well. But this chapter is about spiritual gifts. So we're going to see this as the foundation for us to jump off of as we look into the nine power gifts. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 2. Here's God's word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, 
I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So the Apostle Paul starts this passage on spiritual gifts emphasizing love. Love is superior. Love is irreplaceable. He's going to say in a moment, love never ends. The foundation from which all spiritual gifts are exercised is a foundation of love. He wants to ground us in that, that what we are to pursue above everything is love. For we are people of love because we have been greatly loved by God who is love. The very foundation of our life is to be love. The very foundation of the exercising of any and all spiritual gifts is love. The Apostle Paul says, if you don't have love and you're exercising a gift, it's worthless. It's a clanging cymbal. It's a gong. It's, it, it hurts the ears. It's offensive. The importance of love. In verse 8, he continues on, and he says this, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So look what he's saying. Love is superior. Love is the foundation from which we exercise all gifts. In fact, the thing that we're to know about love is that it never ends. It is our eternal reality. We will only experience a greater love, a perfected love, where we will have perfect, complete love for one another and perfect, complete love with God. That is our eternal reality. Love never ends. And prophecies and knowledge and tongues, these things will pass away. They will cease. They will not remain eternally like love. So what is the Apostle Paul saying? Why, is he just focusing on these three gifts, that these ones are gone and the others remain? Well, look what he says in the very next verse. Verse 10, keeping all this in our mind, he says, but when the perfect comes, the partial, meaning prophecy and tongues and knowledge, and I think he means more gifts. He just doesn't list them all. He's picking a few. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So here's a really important question. What is the perfect? For when the perfect comes, those gifts that will pass away, tongues and prophecy and knowledge and several other gifts as well, they will cease. They will pass away for they are no longer necessary. That's why they pass away is because they're not necessary, but love will remain because love is our eternal reality. Now the word perfect there is related to the word telos. It means the end. It's the perfection of something. So the Apostle Paul says, when the perfect comes, when it is perfected, these things will pass away. But love never ends. Let's see what it is. Next verse, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly lit speaking about now, but then when the perfect comes, when it's complete, when love continues and the gifts cease, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, 
even as I have been fully known. What is he saying? See, notice the language. Paul is saying, right now I am fully known. Who's he speaking about? God. God fully knows us, but in the moment, how do we see God? Through a mirror dimly lit. We do not see him face to face. And we don't know fully, we only know in part. But when the perfect comes, we will no longer see in a mirror dimly lit. We will see face to face. We will no longer know in part, we will know fully. So who or what is the perfect? It's the return of Jesus. When Jesus returns and love never ends and we step into our eternal reality of perfected love with God and with one another, the gifts are no longer necessary for they're a blessing for us now as we look in a mirror dimly lit, as we know in part. But then when we see face to face and when we know fully, these gifts will cease and they will pass away. See, here's what spiritual gifts do, in particular the power gifts. They illuminate the mirror that we look into as we view God. The mirror that we're looking into right now is dimly lit. We can't see God perfectly. We can't see him face to face. But the spiritual gifts illuminate the mirror a little bit so we can see God just a little more clearly. We can see his power at work. We can see his presence around us. We can see his reality. This is why these gifts are so vital, church, because they help us to know more deeply, to see more clearly. One day we will see face to face and we will know fully, but we are not at that day when the perfect has come. And so these gifts are necessary and they're important and they should be represented so that we can see God in that mirror dip, dimly lit, just a little brighter, a little more clearly, know a little more fully. This is why these gifts have been given to us. They are great grace. And we should be praying those two prayers I encourage you to pray weeks ago. God, show me the gifts you've given me. Activate them in my life. And God, activate the gifts in the life of those in my church so that there might be a healthy representation of all of the gifts. For our desire as followers of Jesus should be, God, we want to see you more fully. We want to know you more deeply. And the Spirit has given us gifts so that we might See that prayer come true. So, these nine spiritual gifts, these nine power gifts are God's grace to us. I hope you see that. I hope you step in now with openness and eagerness to see God change something in you, illuminate something in you, and activate something fresh in you. The very first power gift we're going to jump into is the gift of prophecy. Now, I've separated these into three kind of subcategories in power gifts because it's helpful for me. The first category is powerful insight. It's the gift of powerful insight. The second category is powerful belief. And the third category is powerful prayer. So the first category, let's start with that. Powerful insight. The very first gift we're going to look at is the gift of prophecy. These are outlined, as I said, in chapter 12 and all throughout the rest of Scripture. Here's the definition for the gift of prophecy. It is an utterance for the moment by God for the community. Let me explain what that means. It's an utterance of, of, by God given to somebody for the community in the moment. The gift of prophecy, it comes about in a corporate setting. God gives someone a word, um, 
an encouragement, a Bible verse, some deep impression upon their heart that they feel led by God to share for the benefit of the community. It may be directed towards a single person in the community or in the gathering, but it's for the building up of everyone. It happens in a corporate setting. It's different from the words of knowledge we'll look at in a moment that is for an individual and it can take place in any environment. Prophecy is for the moment of the gathering in church, in small group. God gives someone a Bible verse, a vision, a word, an understanding for someone in the room. That's the gift of prophecy. And it's important to say this. The gift of prophecy is fallible. If you have the gift of prophecy, you are not like an Old Testament prophet, okay? Sorry to burst your bubble. You're not an Old Testament prophet. You don't speak the exact words of God. We have the exact words of God here, and the canon is closed. But God gives you a word, an encouragement, a vision that should be shared, knowing that it must be tested. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that we're to not treat prophecies with contempt, but we are to test them. There's a prophet in the New Testament by the name of Agabus. And he has a prophetic word for Paul that he shares in this gathering. And he says, Paul, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be bound up by the Jews and handed over to the Romans. So watch out. It's a prophetic warning. Now, Agabus gets that mostly right. It's not fully right. Because what actually ends up happening after this prophecy is that Paul begins to get beaten by the Jewish leaders who want to kill him and the Romans actually come and bind him to really save his life and help to mitigate the hostility that was happening on the street. So he's right. His warning should have been listened to and discerned and tested, but he is not speaking the authoritative perfect word of God. They're to be tested. I want to share with you a story about something that happened four years ago here at Crossbridge Brickell. As we started this series four years ago, I shared about these power gifts, and I had a meeting with um, a man in our church who gra grabbed me for coffee, and we got together, and he said, Pastor, I want to talk with you about something because I don't know what's going on. I think I'm possessed. And I was like, this is not the coffee I thought I was coming into, but here we go. Okay. So we started talking and we started processing all the things that he was sharing and what was happening. And what he said was whenever he's, not whenever, but a lot of times when he was gathered at church or in small group or in these places where the community of believers was gathered, God was like flooding his mind with visions and thoughts and things that he felt like he was supposed to share. And it was like really dis disconnecting him and messing with him. He's like, maybe I'm possessed. I don't know what's going on. So we walked it through, we prayed about it, we worked it out, and what we discovered was that God had given him the gift of prophecy. He had no idea. God had given him the gift of prophecy, and his wife came to find out that she had the gift of discernment. And so we opened up this prophetic text line that no one knew was actually happening in the church. They've since moved, so the line is closed, maybe God will reopen it. But I had my cell phone out every single service, and God would give him a prophetic word. He would share it with his wife, who would discern and test it. And if she felt like it was meant to be shared, they would text it to me in the service. And I would then incorporate that word into the sermon, or I would pray specifically for that. And one of the instances, still gives me goosebumps to this day, 
he texted me. It was the very end of my sermon, and he said, Carter, I, someone in this room is deeply struggling with the loss of a child. And so I, I brought it into the end of the sermon, and I prayed specifically for that. Because I know that I can't imagine the deep pain that that person was feeling. Trusted God to share that word and to pray over that. The next day, got an email that there was a woman in the church that was just praising God for how she felt that he was present and that he was powerful and he was going to work good in her life because right before she stepped to church, no one knew she was in deep pain because she just had a miscarriage that day. And God ministered to her in a powerful way through that. Do you see how these gifts, this is just one example, is meant to be used for encouragement and comfort. And God, you see me, and you're near to me, and you're processing with me, and you're walking with me in my pain. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's the gift of prophecy. Secondly is the gift of discernment. As you saw, it's powerful insight, and it goes right alongside of that. The gift of discernment is the God-given ability to determine truth, error, or evil. I said that this is like people that have spiritual x-ray eyes, okay? Don't worry, they can't read your thoughts, okay? Don't worry about it. If you have the gift of discernment, typically you have discernment in one of three ways. You may have all three, but here's how it works. Some people have the gift of discernment that I call up discernment, meaning they can, they can acknowledge and they can feel when God is particularly present in the moment. Now, God is with us, and he is near to us, and he is always present. He's omnipresent. However, sometimes God is uniquely present. And people that have the gift of discernment that is up, they can sense that. They know God is near, and he's working, and they share that. Then some people have sideways discernment, which is discernment with other people. All of us walk through life with a whole list of struggles and difficulties. And many times when we walk into communities like church, we hide those. We put on a mask, we put on a smile, and we move through that. But people with the gift of discernment can see through that. They sense and they discern that something is wrong, that someone's struggling, they're angry, they're exhausted, they're stressed, they're frustrated, they're hurting deeply. These are the people that typically say, hey, I know you said you're okay, but honestly, how are you really? Are you really okay? They discern that deeply. Then there are people that have down discernment. These are people that can discern demonic powers and strongholds when they're present. See, as I said, we live in an integrated, integrated reality, our physical reality and spiritual reality. The Apostle Paul says that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and evil and darkness and these strongholds that are at war. Now, we know who's going to win, and we have positional authority in Christ but that is a reality. And people that have discernment, they, they can discern when there are demonic forces and strongholds at work. These are people that love Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is the armor of Christ. Put on the full armor of Christ. That chapter is about fighting spiritual warfare. You wear the armor to battle against spiritual warfare. And they want a specific sermon series on this right now. They want to preach to God, and they will pray protection over the church because they sense that. They discern that. That is the gift of discernment. Third is the gift of words of knowledge or wisdom. Some people separate these gifts. I'm lumping them together. I think you can do either. The gift of words of knowledge and wisdom is two things. One, knowledge. 
This is when God gives you information about a person that brings them healing and never seeks to humiliate them. This is when God gives a word, a Bible verse, a specific thing that you feel that you should share with someone else, and God impresses it upon your heart to have that courageous act to say, I need to share something with you. Can I share something with you that I think God wants me to tell you? It's prophecy for individuals. It can happen at church. It can happen in small group. It can happen over coffee. It's when God presses that you should share something with them, and it heals them, helps them feel seen and loved and known by God. It encourages them to move forward. It's a gift of knowledge or the gift of wisdom. Here's what the spiritual gift of wisdom looks like. It's when God gives you a situational word for other people to help show them their next steps on the journey. This is applied knowledge. This is when you're spending time with people, oftentimes maybe in a small group, and you be, see people begin to share what's going on, and God floods your mind with thoughts and, and, and wise steps that you should share with them. Like, hey, God, I think, has told me that I need to share with you that you should consider these steps. I think these things might be helpful for you. Typically, people come to you asking for wisdom. Hey, what do I do? Can you tell me some thoughts? Can you help me with this? This is the gift of wisdom. Now, let me say something. If you have the spiritual gift of knowledge or wisdom, here's a really healthy practice. Ask people before you share it, okay? Don't just start walking up to people like, God, give me a word for you. Here it is. Don't do that, okay? And if you have the gift of wisdom, don't come up and be like, here's what you need to do. Nobody wants that person, right? Well, you don't know. What do you mean you don't know what I need to do? Don't tell me what to do. If you have the gift of knowledge and wisdom, acknowledge that God has given it to you and ask permission to share it, okay? That's healthy practice. It honors the person and it honors God as well. That's powerful insight. The next section of power gifts is powerful belief. Powerful belief. The first one, which is the fourth gift so far, is the gift of faith. Here's what the, the gift of faith is. It is deep and unwavering hope in the faithfulness and power of God to work good. Deep, unwavering hope in the faithfulness and power of God to work good. It is separate from the gift of faith that we all have. If you believe in Jesus Christ and his perfect life and death and resurrection, God has given you the gift of faith. You are righteous in Christ. You are loved by God. You are forgiven. That is saving faith. The spiritual gift of faith is different. It is the person that has an abundance mindset. They're the person that brings oxygen in the room. When there's difficulty and hostility and conflict and barriers, this is the person that says, hey, listen, God's going to do it. God is going to do it. He's going to be faithful. He's powerful. He's going to work good. Let's trust him. Let's believe in him. Can you see why this person is so important? This gift is so important. It brings oxygen in the room like, yeah, you're right. I've been looking at the wall, but God's going to break down the wall. Let me believe in that. This person has the gift of faith. Secondly, is the gift of miracles or works of power. Now, here's a definition for that. This is authority over nature and the demonic. This, let me separate two things. One, as a Christian, I've already said that you have positional authority in Christ. You are held with God in Christ. You are righteous and protected and victorious. But we live in an integrated reality. And so 
God can work miracles through your life and through everyone's life. God works miracles independent of us. But there are some people that he gives the gift of power, of miracles. And what I mean by that is that these are the people that believe so deeply in the ability for God to do the impossible that they take risk in their faith. They will declare, God is going to do that. They believe that nothing is impossible for God. When, when Jesus says that it takes the faith of a mustard seed to cast a mountain to the ocean, they're like, amen, I believe it. They believe that God is going to move, that God is going to heal, that God is going to bless, that God is going to change the destination. Any conflict, any aversion, they believe that God can do the impossible. When other people see that there's no way around it. They are praying and declaring and taking risk in their faith, and they see God move through that. Now, this gift is unique in that I, I believe that when you look at the course of human, not human history, of church history, the past 2,000 years, God pours out this gift in profound ways in certain situations and specific environments. There are times where God pours out the gift of miracles in a community in a church, in an environment that is facing certain situations and specific adversity. And you see that in the church, where he pours out this gift through people that take risk in their faith and they believe that God can perform miracles still in this day and age, and God does that. He's still doing it today, church. Sometimes we just don't see it because we're focused on what's happening around us. But all over the world, God is working miracles. All over the world through his church that believes that he still can work that way, because he can. Six is the gift of healing. There are three types of healing. The first is prayers of healing that all of us are called to pray. We're all called to pray for healing and have faith that God can heal. Secondly is the office of healing, where when you're sick and in need and you are desiring healing in your life, you call the elders, James chapter 5, to lay hands and anoint with oil. We just did that a few weeks ago. And then there are those that have the spiritual gift of healing. These are the people that every time they hear of a need, conflict, or something that needs to be healed, a sickness, their immediate thought is let's pray for healing. And they believe that God can heal. They want to pray for healing all the time. They are, the definition would be that they see God working through healing as they rely upon prayer and God's work. They don't believe that they have some kind of special blessing over their hands when they lay their hands on someone, someone's going to be healed. But they believe and have no reservations about the fact that God does heal and he desires to heal and we should pray for healing. They believe that deeply. And when they pray, they see results. Let me share with you two things. We've been stepping into this and, and upholding this as a church that God wants to heal and that he will heal when we believe and when we pray for it. A few, few Sundays ago on Expectation Sunday, many people came forward and, and shared where they're asking God for healing. They were anointed with oil, hands were laid, and they deposited that card in the box saying, God, will you heal? Let me share with you two things. One thing, this is from someone in our church. They said they wanted to share on Expectation Sunday of the healing they were desiring. They asked for healing from the fear of man and fear of God, fear of messing up. I have felt since that Sunday a deeper, humble confidence and boldness to say and to choose and to act with a new freedom. God has healed me of the pain 
and the fear that I once had, and I continue to walk in a deeper life of faith. That was a month ago. I had another report from someone else that told me that they had been struggling substance abuse for the past six months. It was increasing over during the time of the pandemic and had multiple attempts to try to quit alcohol. They came for healing. They asked that God would heal them of that addiction, and they haven't touched a drop of alcohol since. Amazing. God heals, church. And if, you have the, if that resonates deep within you, like, yes, we need to pray for healing. We need to believe in healing. God may have given you the, the gift of healing to pray that over people and to lay that before people. Lastly is the category of powerful prayer. And you'll see why I've separated that way, even though all of these involve prayer. This is powerful prayer. The seventh gift is the gift of intercession. This is the spiritual gift of prayer. These are people who have the gift of ceaseless prayer, which brings about protection and comfort and answers for others. These are people that want to pray all the time. They get lost in praying. They want the church to pray more because they have the gift of intercession. And oftentimes there are three types of people that have the gift of intercession. First are the list types. This may be you. These are the people that have prayer lists. They add people, they add things, and they keep praying through that list. They hear of a prayer request, they add it to the list. Gift of intercession. The second one is crisis prayer. These are people where people are in crisis or pain. God places that pain or those people upon their heart, and they will ceaselessly, continually pray for those people until the Spirit removes that. They feel a weight, and they just have to pray each and every day, ceaseless prayer, deep prayer until the Spirit removes that upon their heart. And then lastly is assigned prayer. These are people that feel assigned to pray for family, friends, pastors, or churches for their life. They feel that the Spirit has led them to pray for church leaders, for churches, for movements, for people, and they will pray for them for their entire lives. That's amazing. Imagine how encouraging that is to know that you have someone that is praying for you every day for the rest of their life. The gift of intercession is powerful, church. So if you think the church should pray more, you're right, amen, and you probably have the gift of intercession. Eighth is the gift of tongues. This is the gift that allows one to speak or to worship or to pray in a language unknown to the speaker. Now, in the New Testament, we see tongues in two ways. One, at the day of Pentecost, we see that the apostles are They're speaking and worshiping and praying in tongues. And those that are there hear what they're saying in their own language. It's a known language to those that are receiving and hearing the gift, but is unknown to the people that are saying it. But then we also see that the gift of tongues is an unknown language to everyone. Some say it's a heavenly language or a spiritual language. Now this gift is deeply deeply encouraging and edifying for the person that has it. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that it is, it is attached to a private prayer life. That when you pray in tongues, there is a, a deep recognition of the presence of God in the moment and the power of God to move and the reality of God. It is profoundly edifying. However, it is meant for the building up of the church as well. 
The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the very next chapter, verse 2. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries of the Spirit. Mysteries of the Spirit. Deeply edifying and encouraging. But it is meant to build up the body of Christ. And the way it is meant to, be, to build up the body of Christ is through the last gift. And that's the gift of interpretation. Interpretation specifically of tongues. This is not the gift of interpreting anything. Okay? So if you have the gift of interpretation, you're, you don't have the ability to interpret everything. It's specific to tongues. It is the ability to understand what is being said when someone speaks in tongues. It may not necessarily be a direct translation. Sometimes it can be. But you hear what God is saying. When someone speaks in tongues, you're like, I, I know what, what God is encouraging us with, how he's comforting us. I don't know why, but I understand. This is the spiritual gift of interpretation. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 28, the Apostle Paul says this. But if no one is present who can interpret... There must be silence in your church meeting, and speaking in tongues must be done to God in private. See, the gift of tongues is the gift that is attached to another gift when it is to be used in a corporate setting. The Apostle Paul is very clear. There is to be order in a service, and the way that order is maintained is that if someone has the gift of tongues, they should remain silent unless there's someone with the gift of interpretation that might interpret. Because he says that we want to create a place of honor and praise and not a place of confusion and disorder. And so I want to address one thing because I think, we're, you know, there's a posture of humility with all of these that we should take, which is we're learning and we're figuring we're growing together as a church. The gift of interpretation is interesting to me because I have met very few people in my life that have the gift of interpretation or have said they do. Because oftentimes what happens is that even if you acknowledge that all of these gifts are alive and active in the church, you, if you want to stay grounded in Scripture, you know that the gift of tongues should not be spoken out loud unless someone can interpret. But here's the problem. How do you know if you can interpret if you're never around someone speaking in tongues? I don't, I don't know. So how do you determine this gift? Now, I don't have all the answers, but here's my suggestion, okay? Here's my suggestion. I think that what the Apostle Paul is protecting is the broader community. And he wants to protect people that come in. And he wants to protect guests and people that are still exploring faith and that feel like they can belong before they believe. And I think that's exactly what we should protect. But I think that there should be an openness to explore whether or not someone has a gift of interpretation in safe, protected, smaller communities. For instance, if you have a Bible study of eight or ten people, and you guys are close friends, you trust one another, you love one another, and someone in that group has the gift of tongues, and they share that with the group that they have this gift, there might be an occasion where the person that has the gift of tongues, it's laid upon them that they should share it with the group, and they ask permission and the group says, go ahead. They pray in tongues, and they sit for a moment and see if anyone in the group has the gift of interpretation. And if no one does, then the person speaking in tongues doesn't speak in tongues anymore, and you continue on with your Bible study and time of prayer. I think there's safety in that. There's protection in that. And that would be my encouragement for the way to determine it, okay? <laughs> I think that that's right. 
I want to close by saying that these gifts are interesting because unlike the love gifts and the word gifts that are easier to kind of identify, if I was speaking about the gift of mercy or service or giving or evangelism or leadership or encouragement, you, some of you came up to me after the service and you're like, I have that gift. I never knew I had, I know I have that gift. It just resonated deeply with so many things in your life. But some of these power gifts, it's like, how do I know if I have the gift of prophecy or tongues or interpretation or healing or miracles? Some of these are a little bit more mysterious. And so here's what I want to encourage you with. The words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Here's what he says. He kind of brings together chapter 13 and 12 in one sentence. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The first thing that we should do, each and every one of us, is pursue love. We are people of love. Love for one another, love for others, love for God. Jesus himself said that the thing that should encapsulate all of our lives, the greatest commandment is love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. We are people that pursue love. So first, if you're pursuing anything but love, you got it wrong. First step is pursue love. Love for one another and love for God. Secondly, after you have established rightly the very first pursuit of your life, which is love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. All of them, including the ones we mentioned tonight. And here's what I want to say. If as I was reading those nine gifts, you thought to yourself, man, I really desire that gift. I don't know if I have it, but I would love to see God activate that gift in my life. I would love to see God use that gift in my life for the blessing of others. I would love to serve the church through words of knowledge. I get excited about that gift. I would love to have the gift of tongues. I would love to have the gift of prophecy. I love to be the person that has that text line for the prophetic text line in the church to encourage people. If God has given you a desire, trust that the Spirit has given it to you because your desire is for something good. <laughs> It's for the very gifts that God gives. See, these are spiritual gifts, not spiritual burdens. Desire them. Pursue them. Paul says, earnestly desire. My encouragement to you is if God has given you that desire in your heart, trust that he's placed it there and believe that he will give you the desires of your heart, which he's already promised in the book of Psalms. Pursue love earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. In fact, the second half of that verse, the Apostle Paul adds a gift there. And I don't think he means just this gift, but he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, particularly so that you may have prophecy. See, he attaches one of these power gifts that are a little bit more mysterious because when you desire them and when you pursue love, I believe that God activates those things in your life. So my encouragement to you, church, is to pursue God, is to pursue love of God and love of one another and earnestly desire the spiritual 
gifts because could you imagine what God would do in this church and in this city if there was a healthy representation of all of these gifts, encouraging and building up one another, equipping one another that when you step foot in church each and every Sunday, there are things happening with gifts that you don't even understand, but you know God is real and he is present and he is powerful. That you see the love of Jesus in the community and going out into the city, that you have an understanding of the nature and the actions and the purposes of God because people are using their word gifts in the community. There would be revival in this church and in the city. There would be. God wants to light up the mirror that we look at him through with greater brightness by spiritual gifts being activated in our midst and in our lives. But it starts with us individually pursuing them. Pursuing love and pursuing the gifts and asking God, activate them, not just for my own benefit, but for the benefit of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we are humbled that you give us such great gifts. You have promised that you do not leave us alone. Jesus, when you ascended, you promised that you would give us the helper and that the helper would come. And it was better that way. When the helper, the Spirit of God came, Holy Spirit, you came with gifts, for they are your gifts that you give and activate in our lives. So I pray for each one of us tonight that we would pursue you with an openness, God, that you would heal any wounds, that you would give clarity that you would give deep desire that we might pursue it. That you would form this community as a community of love for you, God, and for one another. And would that be so evident through these gifts manifested and represented here in this church? God, we believe these things and we trust these things and we ask that you would Bring us now into this means of grace, which is your table, to experience your presence with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.